Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena. It is Tuesday, October 1st. That means we have a Twitter Tuesday, the best day of the week as far as I'm concerned, because it is my opportunity to read what is on your mind, to try to answer your questions as best as I can. And as always, I thank everyone who sends in a question. Now, I know some of you sent in questions regarding uh, some personnel moves which have since been made, since been answered. So I don't have them in this particular batch, but... Uh, Um, I do have about uh, 16 or 17 questions for today that I am going to get to. Before I do, just a reminder, tomorrow's show, Lucas Braun will be on the program with me. We are doing the crossover show, Giants, Minnesota, this Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Later in the week, we'll have a couple of features. I'm going to see if I can get a player interview for Friday and uh, I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do Thursday. I may try to get a guess. Otherwise, I might just recap the media avails or do some analysis or something like that. But, um, you know, plenty of stuff planned for the podcast. And I hope you'll just stick with me and uh, check us out. And I do want to thank everybody. September, we had tremendous numbers. So I do thank you for tuning in, for listening. If you're telling your friends, I appreciate it. If you're leaving reviews for me, whether it be on iTunes, Google Play, what have you, appreciate it, appreciate you. And uh, we're going to get right into your questions. So let's kick it off with one from John G sent via email, who asks, do you think that Daniel Jones coming from a school where he didn't have a strong protection and had to throw faster, not rely on the O-line actually made him a better quarterback? Uh, not being able to sit in the pocket and having to get the ball out faster, like unlike unlike Dwayne Haskins, who had a strong O-line in college, ended up better preparing him. Yeah, you know what, John? That thought did cross my mind, actually. It's funny you mentioned that. Um, I know a lot of people were down on Daniel Jones because of his record in college, but that did cross my mind. Sometimes when you have to improvise and you don't have everything perfect around you, you learn how to survive a little bit better. And Daniel Jones at Duke, unfortunately, did not have ideal talent um, around him. He often had to improvise and make plays on his own. And really, that's the hallmark that's the hallmark of a good quarterback, a guy who can load the team up on his shoulders and carry that guy you know, carry the team forward. And and I think you raise a really good point with, with your question. And uh, thank you for sending that in. Next question comes from at NYPJA. Is it a stretch to attribute the New York Giants defensive improvement in the second half versus Tampa Bay and through most of the Washington game to Ryan Connolly having the headset? Um, I don't think that's necessarily the reason behind it. Um, certainly, you know, not to take anything away from Ryan Connolly and the job he did. He, I think he did a fantastic job. And everyone I spoke with said that, you know, he has a good grasp of the defense and did a good job orchestrating things. But I think in terms of, you know, the the scheme 
or, or the improvements, I should say, you've got to look at the scheme, you've got to look at some of what they changed. Now, if you um, remember in his press conference, Pat Shermer uh, mentioned some scheme scheme uh, tweaks that they made on defense. And he said he, you know, when he was asked what they were, he wouldn't go into those details. So as you are listening to this, just a heads up, there is a film study that you can find on the Maven, the Giants Maven at si.com slash NFL slash Giants. It's under the category film. It is a free feature. And we actually took a look at some of the scheme changes that they made and what the effects were and, and why, you know, the thinking behind it. So I really encourage you to check that out because that article goes into a lot of detail as to what the Giants did and why they were a little bit better this week against the Washington team than they were last week. David, uh, let's see, no, I'm sorry, D. Seidenfrau asks, Grant Haley was badly beaten on two deep balls. Giants will unfortunate Keenum overthrew those balls. What options do the Giants have to combat this? Uh, as I record this, I haven't looked at that film yet. I am look, actually looking at the film on Tuesday for something that I'm doing. Um, but uh, I know we covered this in Inside Football, and I'm going to see if I can find the article uh, we did on Inside Football. This is the subscriber thing that we, uh, the newsletter that we put out every week on InsideFootball.com. Uh, let's see. What did we write about, Haley? Um. Basically, the problem with Haley, okay, here it is. Haley was playing a lot of zone, Haley was playing in a lot of the zone coverage schemes. In the middle of the first quarter, he was underneath zone, but gave up too much room against Smallwood, who made the first down grab underneath. Um, Haley also in, in the second quarter uh, gave, had decent coverage, but just, you know, was out hustled there on that play. Um, Let's see, in the middle of the second quarter, what happened there? Uh, so basically, uh, you know, t the short answer to your question is, is some of it was allowing too much room. See, with zone coverage, you know, the best way I can explain it is think of a circle, a big circle. And if a guy is hovering near the top of the circle, a defender is hovering near the top of the circle, and the quarterback connects with a receiver down towards the bottom of that circle, if the more room there is between the guy at the top of the circle and the guy at the bottom of the circle, that could sometimes lead to, to a player getting beaten. So I think that's what happened with Haley on the plays that you're mentioning. All right, next question comes from John Spielman. How will the Giants use Golden Tate? It appears his game is similar to Sterling Shepard. It is to a degree, but I think what you're going to see is you're going to see more of Tate and Shepard being interchanged uh, between the slot and outside. Right now, you know, um, Shepard has been doing a lot of work in the slot, some work outside, but I think now they're going to be able to mix it up even more. I also think you might see Golden Tate handle some of the um, punt return duties if TJ Jones, you know, is no longer on the roster or if he continues to struggle if he is on the roster. Next question comes from D. Gennaro, 13. Um, 
Also a question about Golden Tate. Will that hurt or open up Shep and how will Ingram be impacted? I don't think it's going to hurt Shep at all. I, I think if, if nothing else, it's going to, you know, provide even more balance to the passing attack. And I, I'm not so sure it'll necessarily impact Ingram. Right now, Ingram is like the number one receiver, the the hot receiver, so to speak. Um, so I think they will they will continue running what works until the opponent figures out how to stop it. And um, one thing I didn't really see when I when I did that particular film study that I saw the week before, um, or actually I should say two weeks ago, teams have haven't been jamming Evan Ingram as much as you know they did in week two. Buffalo uh, did in week two, and if you jam Evan Ingram. Sometimes you can knock him off his game. And, and I'm just surprised that they haven't, you know, opponents haven't done that more often. But, you know, I guess they're paying more attention to other aspects of the Giants um, offense. So, all right. And then let's see. Run, Saquon, run. Does Lorenzo Carter still play for the Giants? I'm, I'm guessing that's a tongue-in-cheek question. Yes, he does. Um, I figure that probably has something to do with the quiet game that Carter had. And uh, let's see, Carter had two assisted tackles basically uh, last week. Um, there's actually, uh, again, an inside football in the subscription product. We actually wrote about that and what we think the issue is there with Lorenzo Carter. Um, so uh, if you get a chance, check that out. Um, we, we do that for every player, by the way, every giant player who takes part in, in a game during the season. So, you know, if you're not checking out inside football, Give it a look-see, and if you're interested in a, a sample copy, if you want to see what the coverage has to offer, send an email over to admin, A-D-M-I-N, at insightfootball.com. We'll send you a sample issue from this year so you could see just what it is we do with the coverage. I think you guys will be really impressed, and um, hopefully you'll, you'll want to check us out. All right, folks, you're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Trena. We're going to take our first break, come back and answer more of your questions. So stay with us. Hey, Giant fans, long day at work, still stuck at the office? Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat and get your food delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code Locked On. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep on walking? Well, of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? Well, if you want to start putting money in your pocket, check out my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as whom you're betting on. And when you bet with MyBookie, the options are endless. For example, did you know that MyBookie allows you to bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Or if you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. And when you join MyBookie now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, MyBookie will double your first deposit. So go on and visit MyBookie.ag. And don't forget, use the promo code LOCKEDON to activate the special offer for new users. MyBookie. You play, you win, you get paid. 
Welcome back, Giant fans to Locked On Giants. Patricia Trainer here with you. It is a Twitter Tuesday, and we are answering your questions and great questions as always. Let's pick it up with at MamaGen03, who's asking about Ryan Connolly and if we know if it's a partial tear or a full year and any difference in recovery time. Jen, I don't know if it's partial or full. Um, sometimes with a partial tear, surgery isn't necessary. But you know, when you're talking a partial tear, it depends to what degree the tear is. Um, in other words, if it's just a slight tear or a strain, that's just a few fibers. Ultimately, I think that heals itself with time. But when it's a, a you know, if it's a halfway tear or a full tear, I think they need usually need surgery. So um, it's an unfortunate injury. It sucks. You know, you don't want to see that happen to anyone. And, and um, you know, really a tough blow for the Giants and for Ryan Connolly, who was playing so well. And uh, speedy recovery to the young man. All right, next question. A. Garrison 22, given all the injuries at inside backer, do you think they go outside the organization for a proven veteran or promote from the practice squad to hold them over? Uh, we kind of got the answer on Monday to that, but um, I don't think they would go outside of the organization per se, um, unless it was a waiver wire claim. The Giants have shown a propensity to, to promote guys that were either on the practice squad, you know, because they had been with them you know, in the, um, in the summer or, um, you know, just, you know, um, getting guys that maybe, you know, they cut like, you know, was the case with Nate Stupar. So, um, I don't think if you, you know, if you're thinking of Brandon Marshall, I don't think they're going to go down that path. I think, you know, they're going to try to stick with what they've got. Now, with that said, um, I think, Tay Davis is closer to being ready to go. Um, he is in the concussion protocol and, you know, he's been doing some light jogging. So we'll see what he does in practice this week. Um, Alec Ogletree, I know head coach Pat Shermer talked about Ogletree also being, you know, getting closer, but, you know, that's just coach speak. You know, every day removed you are from having suffered the injury, there's always the chance, you know, you know, you're always one day closer to being back to your normal self. Until Ogletree starts running, I I'm not so sure how close he really is, but we'll see. Maybe uh, come Wednesday at practice, he will start running and maybe he is a little closer. So, uh, We'll see if they get some of these guys back. Next question comes from Nieves Martir. Looking at the rest of the schedule, there are four very winnable games, five that the Vikings continue to play the way they have. Of the seven, do you think there's a chance we can take two, maybe three of those games to have a chance at the playoffs? Oh, wow. Um, I tend to take one game at a time, one week at a time, because injuries, you know, get in the way of things and they can totally screw things up. Um, and then you look at games like, you know, I, the Bucks. I think, beat the Rams. I mean, who saw that coming? So I don't like to get too far ahead of myself with games. That's one of the reasons why I try not to do season predictions before, you know, I know the rosters and all that stuff. But, um, you know, look, 
I'm always optimistic. I always like to go into every week thinking the Giants have a chance of winning, even though, you know, the matchups might not necessarily favor them. So I'm sticking with that, man. I'm sticking with that story and hoping for the best. And, um, you know, uh, unless, God forbid, a, a great injury plague wipes out everybody, you know, every key player that they have. So keep the faith. All right, up next is RamDude75, a regular contributor to Twitter Tuesday. What's up, RamDude? He asks, let's see, now that Tate is back, how will it help the receivers? Actually, uh, talked about that a little bit in the prior segment, but just to add to that, Tate, and I'm just going off memory here because I don't recall the exact numbers. I know I did a story on this as to what they would lose without him, but... Tate is really good at yards after the catch. So I just think that, you know, if you get a guy who can really do damage with yak, the yards after the catch, maybe now that will necessitate paying double attention to him, which would single up some of the other receivers um, to, to make plays. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, it's it's necessarily going to be like like it was with Odell Beckham where, you know, Beckham would draw double and triple coverage and that would allow other guys to single up, but it's going to be interesting because now the Giants, you know, they have Ingram, they have Shepard, they have uh, Tate coming back, Darius Slayton is w- working into the mix. So the Giants have some some options now that I think opposing defenses are going to have to figure out how to, you know, who to double up, I should say, and, um, you know, limit the damage that they can do down the field. And then also to that end, they also have to devote, you know, coverage to Daniel Jones in case he decides to take off with the ball. So just a, a whole different um, look to this offense, um, not just with, you know, with Golden Tate coming back, but also with Daniel Jones in there. So really excited to see what they do with him. And I think that's going to be something we focus on in our post game write up over at Inside Football. We're going to probably take a look at how things changed. Um, just a little spoiler alert as far as the, um, you know, the planning goes. But um, so yeah, be sure to check that out. All right, next question is from Black Banjo Tony. What extra burden does it put on independents like you that print-based art, print-based outlets in the New York City area have decimated what one, what once were top quality Giants beat staff? Tony, I'm going to be honest with you. I stay in my own lane. I worry about my own shop. I don't criticize others. You know, other people have ways of doing things. Um, you know, and. and Really, I, I'm not in a position to sit here and, and openly criticize anybody. I'm not perfect. Um, the day that somebody comes along and tells me that I am perfect, maybe. And even then, I would probably be reluctant to, to comment on that. But um, I just try and do the best I can. And I'm not for everybody. I realize that. But uh, those who do read me, I appreciate you. Those who listen to the podcast faithfully, I appreciate you. Um, those who choose to follow me on Twitter, thank you. And um, those who don't like me, you know, I- I'll just keep trying harder to earn your 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 page, you know, your reads, your listens, and and whatnot. So that's all I can do. All right, you're listening to Locked On Giants with Patricia Trainer. We're going to take our final break and come back, and then 
answer the remainder of your questions on this Twitter Tuesday, so do stay with us. Hey, Giant fans, welcome back to Locked On Giants with Patricia Trena. It is a Twitter Tuesday going through your questions, and I do appreciate the questions. Um, so let's continue with wrapping up these last few, starting with Bill Up the Graph. I hope I said that right. I'm sure a lot of people are asking this, but how exactly was that 50-yard catch and run by Latimer offensive pass interference? You know what, Bill? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send that question in to the gentleman. Uh, we have an, a retired official that we we call upon at Inside Football whenever we have a rules question or whenever we need to, you know, figure out what happened on a play. So I'm going to send that question into the official. And if I could just ask you a favor, follow up with me next week for next week's Twitter Tuesday, remind me to, you know, what I, you know, what did you find out from, from the ref? And um, I will make sure that I incorporate that answer into the, um, into the question. Um, if you can remind me for that. All right. Next question comes from Big Mush 75 Let's see. He asks, it seemed like Daniel uh, Daniel Jones was late on his throws all game. Was he dropping his eyes or otherwise being affected by the rush? Or was it just one of those games where he was just off? I don't think he was late on all of his throws. I think that that's maybe, you know, over-exaggerating a little bit. Uh, let's see if I have something in inside football here that I can cite for you. Um, let's see. I'm just going through what we wrote for about Jones and inside football. I don't think he was late. I think sometimes what happens with Jones is he, he locks in on a receiver a little too long. And then when that receiver is not open, maybe he goes and, you know, it's like, oh, wow, now I've got to go and I've got to look elsewhere. And, and then it looks like he's throwing too late. Um, but still, I think overall, Jones had a solid uh, showing, you know, the stats weren't, you know, eye popping like they were the week before. But it was a solid enough showing. And um, let me just see, I'm just looking at what we wrote at Inside Football. He Okay, yeah, he basically took what Washington was giving him especially on third downs when he converted a handful of times throwing in front of their zones, taking the easy play when presented. So basically, you know, smart decision making football, smart decision making with the ball. So yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to take what the defense gives you. And I think, you know, like, like we wrote for inside football this week, that's what they did. So, um, you know, again, he got the job done. They scored, they won the game. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, he's going to have his, 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 his growing pains, obviously. But uh, overall, I mean, the arrow is definitely pointing up for the young man. So, okay, next question comes from Steve 10 G-Man. It appears to me that the Giants still have not established a good, consistent run game. Do you agree? And if so, is it a problem with the T's? With the T's, I'm not sure what the what you mean by is it a problem with the T's, the letter T S, um, but I don't agree that the Giants have not established a good consistent run game. I mean, they ran for 164 yards and 37 carries last week, which was an average of 4.4. Um, 
I think what you have to remember is, you know, when Saquon Barkley was in there, defenses were, were, were honing in on stopping him. So when you, when you zero in on one player and try to stop him, um, you know, that opens up opportunities for other guys. But, you know, look, Wayne Gallman obviously is, is, you know, he's Wayne Gallman. He's not Saquon Barkley. Same thing with John Hilleman. He's John Hilleman. He's not Wayne Gallman. He's not Saquon Barkley. But I, I just thought, you know, they, they ran, you know, other than the, the two fumbles that they, they had, they ran the ball well. They, they got some tough yardage that their pass protection was, was solid. Um, Gallman contributed six catches for 55 yards, uh, including a, a 21 yarder. So I wouldn't say that the Giants don't have a a good consistent run game. I th- I just think you know if you were maybe expecting eye popping stats, then yeah, I could see where you're getting going with that. But they're moving the chains, so you know, and they, they I think they converted something like sixty two or sixty eight percent of their their down attempts. So all that factored in, and and they've been able to run a balanced offense. So I I, I disagree with that. Okay, next question comes from J.K. Hay. Undisclosed draft pick to Green Bay for LB for linebacker B.J. Goodson. Still can't see why they were hot to trade him. Um, I this was tricky. I I think the undisclosed pick was a seventh rounder, and it was I think the better of the two seventh rounders that Green Bay has coming to them next year. I'd have to go back and look up what I wrote. I know I wrote an article on it explaining it for the si.com slash NFL slash NY Giants. Um, I don't remember, you know, how it worked out. It had to do with uh, conditions where I think if, if, if Goodson were, was on the Packers for a certain amount of time, um, the Giants would get the better of the two picks. I think that's what it was. As for why the Giants were, quote unquote, so hot to get rid of Goodson, I mean, they were going to release him anyway. He he wasn't really a fit, I don't think, for what they wanted to do. So, you know, rather than just release him and, and not get anything for him, they, they were able to swing a trade. So I, I don't begrudge them that. I mean, I know where you're going with this, you know, oh, they've got injuries now and they could have used them, but... You know, sometimes guys aren't necessarily a fit for what, you know, the coaches want to run. And I think that's what happened there with Goodson. All right, let's see. A couple more questions. We have one from Arn Florendo. Uh, What specific tweaks did you see the Giants make on defense? They played so much better. Arn, we have an article on that on the uh, the sportsillustrated.com site it that url again is si.com slash nfl slash giants it is under the film room it's going to be the first article listed um i believe that article is dropping actually at um i think it's dropping at 9 30 on tuesday morning so if you're listening to this podcast um before that you know you you won't see that article yet but that article um by chris flume actually it explains it in really good detail and, you know, definitely check it out. Um, It's got a lot of detail in there. We also have some explanation from Inside Football. And um, let me just pull that up. I'll just read you just a little bit of what we wrote on Inside Football. In a nutshell, um, basically the Giants 
deployed a lot more five and six defensive backs, um, more nickel, more dime coverage. In some cases, we saw seven D backs. Um, they were able to move, you know, Jabril Peppers a little closer to the line of scrimmage. I think um, Antoine Bethea moved closer to the to the box. Basically, they went with more defensive backs, and that was a uh, a result. They were able to, I guess, close up and tighten some of the zone coverage that gave them so much trouble. And if you go back to what I said earlier in the program about the zone, just thinking of a big circle, and you know, thinking of you know, now when you're putting more guys in in, in that circle, you're able to close up the space between you know guy point A and point B, and and therefore tighten things up. So I think that's, you know, really the big thing. But do check out the article that's publishing Tuesday uh, morning on the Maven site. Again, the URL is, um, it's uh, si.com slash NFL slash Giants. And that's under the film section. It'll be up around 930 or so on Tuesday morning. Okay, one more question. Drew Koch tweets. Time will tell, but last week's Michael Thomas stop to seal the win followed by this week's results uh, by the D seem to be the 2019 equivalent of the 2017 Kavika Mitchell stop and what is sued thereafter. Agree, at least for now. Mm, no, I mean, I know where you're going with this, Drew. I mean, and, and I've kind of made this this comparison too that, you know, it took two, about two and a half games for the Giants defense in 2007 to kind of come together and play well. But, you know, I don't want to take away from what the Giants did against the Bucks and from what they did against, you know, Washington. I don't want to take that away. With that said, I think I need to see how they do against Minnesota and New England in order to really get a, a true feel for how good this defense really is and how far they have come along. So um, I, I'm going to withhold judgment for now, other than to say I am encouraged. Um, I am optimistic and I'm hoping for the best, just like, you know, the rest of you guys are. All right, Giant fans, that will wrap it up for this week's Twitter Tuesday. I do want to thank you, as always, for the questions. Don't forget, if you want to get involved with the Twitter Tuesday questions, you can send them to me at LockedOnGiantsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet them to me using the hashtag Ask. P-Train, P-T-R-A-I-N. And don't forget to check out tomorrow's show. Again, Lucas Braun, who is the host of the Locked On Vikings podcast, will be on the program with me. We will start to break down the Giants-Vikings matchup this coming weekend at MetLife Stadium. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the questions. And I'll talk to you again this week.